All right, who's ready to get into part three of Wilderness Survival Guide? Anybody? Anybody? I'm ready. I'm ready. Um, before we do, let's have our greeters come forward. And um, if you don't have a pen, um, I would love for you to get a pen uh, from one of our greeters today. Come all the way to the front and then turn around, and uh, then you can see who's, who's got their hand up. Um, and if you need a pen, grab a pen, because there's a couple things I want you to write down today um, that you're going to want to write down. And you're going to want to get it down so you have it during the week. you got to write it down. you got to get it down. All right? Anybody else need pens? Just raise your hand. Our greeters will get you right there. Some pens over there. Right over there. Right over there. Can I have one too? Cheryl, can I? You know, I, I always forget. But I steal pens from restaurants, hotels, waiters, waitresses. So i got to keep one for my own. Okay, there we go. Um, when, I was, when I was a kid, we lived for a little while in this town called Lancaster, Ohio. We moved from St. Louis for a little bit. My dad was a, a pastor, so we went up to take this church up in this little town called Lancaster, Ohio. And we lived in a, a thing called a parsonage. A parsonage is basically a house for the pastor and his wife. Some churches have, like, you know, they own a parsonage, and the pastors come, they live inside this parsonage. Well, this parsonage that we lived in was this old, 100-year-old farmhouse sitting out, like, kind of in a field with these big, beautiful trees surrounding it. And it was just a big, beautiful old house. I loved this house. And I loved my room in the parsonage because my room had these big windows towards, like, if you're, if you're in bed and you're looking out that way, there were these big windows um, facing, you know, out of the front of the house. Uh, and so I could, when I was a little kid, I could just lie in bed and look out at the trees and look out at the fields. And it was a really beautiful, beautiful view. Now, one thing that I really thought was interesting about this house was the windows, because the windows in this house were about 100 years old. And if you've ever been in an old house with old windows, you know those windows are sometimes, not, they've got these little discrepancies. There's little waves, there's little ripples in the window because the design, the way they made them back then, it's not as clean, it's not as pure. You look out a contemporary window and it's just, you know, pure, clean, you look straight through. But these old windows, they have like these little waves and, and ripples. There's a little bit of distortion going on in, in the window. So when you look through the, that window, things are just... You can tell what they are. You can tell it's trees, and you can tell that it's fields, and you can tell that it's clouds, but they're all just slightly distorted a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? Have you been in a house that's kind of old and got those crazy window panes? That's what, that's what our, our house had. And this wasn't generally a problem because normally I could look out the window and I could just see, you know, I knew it was a tree, I knew it was a cloud, I knew it was a bird, whatever. But sometimes this distortion caused a, some distress for me. Because what would happen, the other thing that Lancaster, Ohio is known for is thunderstorms, lightning storms, windstorms. In fact, some people call it Tornado Alley right now through there because they have huge windstorms that come down through Lancaster, Ohio. In fact, our high school mascot was, was a gale, the, the Lancaster Gales. It was a tornado. That was our mascot. This is, this is, you know, the kind of town we lived in. We celebrated, you know, uh, uh, weather uh, things, weather environments. So anyway, um, so, so the thing is that when you're a kid and you're in bed and one of these lightning storms and thunderstorms happens and you're seeing it through this sort of muddled, wavy, bumpy glass and you've got an imagination 
And you're a little bit fearful anyway because lightning is flashing and wind is howling, right? And thunder is rumbling. Well, now you're looking out at these beautiful trees and at these beautiful fields through the distortion of the glass and with the fear and the anxiety and the worry that comes along to a little kid when there's a thunderstorm out there. And suddenly those trees begin to get exaggerated. They start to wave around in ways that start to look like monsters and goblins and they start getting pretty darn scary as they're scraping across the window pane because even though none of that is real, you're looking at it in a distorted way. They, they get exaggerated, right? They start getting, things start getting exaggerated, scarier, more worrisome than when you're not afraid, right? This doesn't just happen for little kids in lightning storms. This happens for all of us. When all of us and any of us get in situations where there's a high level of stress or anxiety or worry or fear or uncertainty or difficulty, our thoughts can sometimes get distorted. Anybody with me on this? Have you, have you had this moment where like, you're, you're, you're thinking about something, but you're thinking about it a little bit under duress. And you're a little bit worried. And suddenly the thing that you're thinking about begins to get magnified. It begins to get like, like a little bit monstrous. It starts to get kind of freaky and scary, right? So, so you get, you know, if you're a student, you've got a test coming up, right? And you start to get worried about the test. And then you start ruminating about the test. And you start thinking, oh my gosh, if I don't pass the test, then I'm not going to graduate. If I don't graduate, then I'm not going to get a job. If I don't get a job, I'm not going to get any money. If I don't get any money, I'm going to be out on the street. If I'm out on the street, I mean, and you've got, you got a math quiz coming up, and you got yourself out on the street in just a few minutes because, because the problem is it starts to grow, right? How many of you, like, in a relationship, you text somebody, and they don't text you back immediately? And then you start to go, huh, I wonder why they didn't text me back, right? All the single folks are like, I'm waiting for a text right now. Um, and you start to go, oh, okay, well, maybe she doesn't, I mean, maybe she doesn't like me, actually. Okay, well, maybe, she's, maybe she likes somebody else. But, you know, maybe she's, maybe she's already run off with some. Maybe she's in Las Vegas right now getting married to somebody else. And here I am waiting for my text, right? And then she texts back and goes, hey, sorry, my phone was dead. What's up? You're like, ah, oh, right? This happens to all of us. They, they actually have a term for it. It's called cognitive distortions. This is what the psychologists call it, cognitive distortions. Cognitive distortions are, those, are is this phenomenon where you, where you have a thought and you exaggerate the negative and you sort of filter out the positive. If you have an experience where, let's say you're going to give a speech or you've got you've to stand in front of a group of people and talk, okay? I don't know where I'm coming up with this idea. It's just this weird, crazy idea, right? And then afterwards you sort of filter out all of the good things that happen and you start to only ruminate and dwell on the negative things, right? You filter it out. That's a way to distort it. You exaggerate the problem and you diminish God's provision. You exaggerate the difficulty and you diminish the destiny that God has for you. You start to exaggerate and distort your view. So this happens to, to every single one of us and it happens especially when we need it to happen the least. It happens when we are struggling. It happens when we're already nervous. It happens when we're already afraid. And today what I want to do, last week we talked about distractions in the desert. You remember we talked about the children of Israel and they were wandering in the wilderness. They were in this time of uncertainty and hardship and difficulty and worry and anxiety. And they got distracted, right? Today I want to, I want to, I want to kind of turn the corner on it, talk a little bit about a slightly different topic. And I want to call it today distortions in the desert. Distortions in the desert. How many of you have ever had a distorted thought? 
a distorted thought where you have exaggerated the problem and then later you circle back and go, okay, it really wasn't that bad, right? I'll tell you one more example. How many of you have like, you've had a cough or like a little, like some little symptom of something and then you go online, right? Okay, and you start self-diagnosing and before you know it, you've got this rare tropical disease. You got about 11 minutes before you're gonna die, right? And you find out, oh, I got a flu bug. Okay, okay, I'm okay, right? right? We do this. This is cognitive distortions, distortions in the desert. And what happens in the passage that we're going to explore today is that the children of Israel are like on the verge of walking into the promised land. They're like on the edge of coming out of their wilderness experience. They have been freed from bondage. They've been wandering in the wilderness. They're on the edge. They're about to step into the promised land, But something happens in their thinking. They start getting it twisted. It starts getting distorted in their mind. So let me read you out of this passage. Um, We're going to be in Numbers chapter 13. And I'm just going to read you a whole bunch. And I'm going to keep kind of cutting in and, and, and in and out as we go through this passage. Here's what it says. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which, listen to this, which I am giving to the Israelites. Now, notice that at the top of the passage, God's saying, this is, not, this is not like I may give this to the Israelites. I might give this to the Israelites. I'm thinking about giving this to the Israelites. He said, I want you to go explore the land that I am giving to the Israelites. Now, some of you can stop because the sermon is done for you. God has already given you the thing that you know you need. You just haven't received it. Right? If I come home sometimes in a, on a weeknight, I'll see some boxes from Amazon on my front porch. You know what that tells me? That tells me that the package has been delivered, it just hasn't been received. Come on, somebody. Sometimes God is saying, look, I've got something for you. I'm trying to deliver it, and I'm actually delivering it. I just need you to receive it. Right? So, so this is, he's saying, look, I'm giving this to you. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. So he's not just sending anybody out. He's sending the heads of the different tribes. They're going to go into this land to explore it. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. And then here's what he tells them. These are his marching orders. Watch this. See, that the, see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or are they fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. Two things. One is, he's wanting them to do some due diligence. God is giving them the land, and he's saying, look, I need you to just scout it out and get some, and assess it. We need to understand exactly what's, what we're getting into. All right? So for those of us who are sometimes tempted to just plunge into things, and God is saying, look, I, w- I want you to do it, but I want you to assess it. Right? I want you to, I don't want... Faith is not foolishness, okay? Faith is not foolishness. God is, not, is never gonna just say, okay, just do it blindly. Just forget about everything and just do it, right? He's, in fact, Jesus said this. Who among you, when you sit down to build a building, wouldn't stop and count the cost? Because if you don't count the cost, you might lay the foundation and then you'd run out of money and then everybody's gonna ridicule you because you started something that you can't finish. So in the first instance, God is saying, look, I want you to assess this. But the, but the other side of this is he's not telling them to assess it for the purpose of determining whether or not they should take the land. He's just sending them on a fact-finding mission because I'm giving you the land. I just need you to, 
I just need you to assess it. This is a reconnaissance mission. I need you to find out some facts so that when we attack the land, we know exactly what we're getting into, all right? So, so just note that he's asking them to gather facts for the advancement, not gather facts to determine whether they should advance. That's a very different thing. Sometimes God is saying to you, look, do the, do the work so that I can lead you into it, not do the work so that you can decide whether or not I'm gonna lead you into it. You see what I'm saying? So, so go in, do the land, check it out. They come back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the, in the desert of Paran. So this is a desert that's right outside of Mount Sinai. You know that picture I showed last week? Just, just think of more of that, right? It's just arid, dry, desert land. Um, it's sort of on the east of the Mediterranean. Um, and they're in, the, they're in the desert. There they reported to them. Now the, these are the people coming back. These are the leaders coming back. They reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they gave Moses this account. Now watch how they give this account, all right? A lot of things can be determined by how you give the account. Here's what they said. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit, but, okay? But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. Notice, you can, you can, you can arrange a conversation. You can, you can modify a conversation. You can lead people down two different paths by where you put the contraction, by where you put the butt, all right? I'm not going to make a big point about that, but, <laughs> but where you put that, right? Let me give you an example. Somebody invites you to a concert. You can say, um, I'd love to go to the concert, but I'm really busy right now, right? Use all the same words. I'm really busy right now, but I'd love to go to the concert, right? This is what they're doing. They're saying, God, you know, yes, it is what you said, but there's a, but, but, but there's a big reason why we can't do it. Instead of, hey, there are a lot of big people up there. The cities are pretty well fortified, but it is a land flowing with milk and honey, just like you said, and you're going to lead us into it, right? So this is what they're doing. They're actually giving factual information, but they're setting it up in a way that distorts the reality. Sometimes we do this in our own minds. We say, well, look, I know that I'm supposed to do this. I know God wants me to do this. I know that I should do this. I know that I ought to do this. Or, but, and then you raise up all the objections, all the problems, all the difficulties, all the challenges. Instead of going, hey, there's challenges, there's difficulties, there's problems, there's issues, but I'm going with God on this, right? So this is what they do. They, manip they manipulate the conversation, and everybody sort of gets on board with them. All the children of Israel start going, yeah, 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 oh, but, yeah, uh-oh, what? So Caleb, one of the leaders, steps up. It says, Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Now, what I love about Caleb here is Caleb is trying to rally the troops. He's trying to encourage people. He's trying to infuse some confidence where there's nothing but fear. Where there's anxiety and worry, he's going, it's okay, we can do it, right? But when you try to tell somebody that they can do something that deep down in their heart they don't believe they can do, it's gonna fall on deaf ears. If they fundamentally don't see themselves as capable of doing it, all the rah-rah and let's do it and you can do it, yes you can, it's not going to work, right? It didn't work for them. Here's what they said. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't. 
Caleb said, we can't. They said, no, we can't. We can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. There are goblins up there. There are monsters twisting in the wind, howling in the wind. And they're going to devour us if we go up there, right? You can see how their thinking is starting to get distorted, right? They're starting, when you say the land devours you, that's a distortion of the reality. It might be an arid land. It might be a dry land. It might be a tough environment. It might be the land devours us. I think we're getting distorted, right? And here's the thing about when you start thinking down a distorted path. It, it's like contagious. Fear is contagious. If you're, there are, there, there's always a crowd for cowardice. It just spreads. When somebody is afraid and they begin spreading fear, it just, it just, it just gets attached to you. Right? It's like a roller coaster. You get up to this point, and once you start going over, now you're really going over. You're going you're to pick it up. The distortion gets wilder and crazier and weirder, and, and, and that's what happens to them. Listen to what they said. And, and they, they keep talking. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. And now, now they're getting real distorted. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. We look like grasshoppers to them. We look like grasshoppers to ourselves. Okay, let me just show you something. I got a little, little visual for you today, okay? This is a grasshopper. I mean, it's a fake grasshopper. And it's actually a pretty large, grass, large fake grasshopper. This is just a rubber grasshopper if you can't, you know. I'm not, I don't, this is not a real grasshopper. Okay, I'm not a Nephilim. I'm not a giant human being, okay? This is a grasshopper, and it's a pretty big grasshopper. But to compare... A person to a grasshopper is such a wild distortion, such a radical distortion that these people have gotten completely sucked into the vortex of panic and paranoia and fear. They have lost it completely. This is how big they see themselves as compared to the people. And what they've also done, this is what happens when you get distorted thinking, cognitive distortions. You start to read other people's minds. You start to read things into their mind, right? You start to go, well, I think that they don't like me. Well, I think that they must not. I saw the way they looked at me. They must have, right? That's, what, that's what's happening in this passage. They said, and we appear like grasshoppers to them. So now they're actually putting their own distortion on the people that they're afraid of. Here's what I want, to, I want you to write this down and get this point today. It's this. Your perception dictates your progress. Your perception will dictate your progress. Write down, if, if you haven't already, Write down the one worry or anxiety or situation of fear that you are experiencing right now in your life. If there's something that you have been ruminating on, there's something that's been bugging you, something that's kept you up a little bit at night, you know, whatever it is, it's your 401k, it's your kids, it's your test coming up, it's your relationship, it's your singleness, it's your whatever it is. Just write down one. Don't write down a bunch. You know, you could write down a couple. If you got three, write down three. But don't go more than three. Just, you know, write down what you are worried about right now. Just write it down because we're going to come back to it in just a minute. There's a, there's a phenomenon that, that psychologists, have, the psychologists have studied. They call it the negativity bias. The negativity bias. The negativity bias is the phenomenon that all of us experience. is basically hardwired into our brains. We give more weight to a negative experience than to a positive experience. 
We just do. We give more weight to a negative experience that happens to us than to a positive experience. In fact, some researchers would say you need to have multiple positive experiences just to overcome one single negative experience. Think about this in your own life. One person said something negative to you way back when, right? You remember it right now. There might be millions, hundreds of thousands of things, positive things that people said to you, but you remember the negative thing. Right? And the reason that we have this is because this is sort of like a survival t- technique that we have. So if you, if you can imagine, let me just geek out for a minute, okay? For those of you anthropology majors, let's just geek out together, okay? So imagine that you're a caveman. You're in a cave, and it's nighttime, and you hear something rustling around outside of the cave, okay? Are you with me? <laughs> Am I going off the deep end right now? Um, and, and there's something rustling around out there, and you think to yourself... It could be a a, a small herd of antelope, which I could hunt, and then we would have food. Or it could be a lion, in which case, if I go out there, he's going to kill me immediately, right? Here's the thing. If it's the lion and you're wrong, it's over, right? If it's the deer and you're wrong, that's okay, because you'll have other opportunities to hunt some antelope, okay? So we have developed over time a negativity bias. We give more weight to the negative than we do to the positive because if the negative happens, man, that's, that's real destructive, right? But this is what happens in our lives. We can sometimes overemphasize the negative. We start looking at all of the negatives and we forget to factor in that there's a, there's a God principle at work in our lives. There are some variables in our lives that we might not have considered. And if we don't weigh those in, we're going to get a distorted view of reality. That's what happens to the children of Israel. They start really freaking out and they're, they're, they're afraid. And they start comparing. You know, uh, Moses never asked them to compare their size to the size of the Canaanites. He never asked them to do that. He just said, are they large or small? Right? He didn't say, like, are they too strong for us? Because God will never ask you to compare yourself to your problem. He'll, he'll never do that. That's, he never said, David, I want you to compare your size to the size of Goliath. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I want you to compare the hunger of the 5,000 to the little five barley loaves. Right? Because there are factors at work that, that, that negate the fact that the problem is so big and you're so small. You see? And so these people are only looking at their relative size and they're comparing themselves to the problem. I can't tell them. Am I coming through to you guys? Are you kidding this? All right. You guys are deep in thought right now. You are chewing on this. Okay. So all of the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, listen to, the, listen to what they said. If only we had died in Egypt. <laughs> like, here's the crazy thing. If you're afraid to go because you're afraid you're going to die, and your option is, man, wouldn't it be great if we died? Wouldn't it be great if we were already dead? Then we wouldn't have to face dying right now, right? That's basically their logic. Their, their, distor- their thinking is getting kind of out of, they've been on WebMD and now they've got all kinds of problems, all right? Wouldn't it be better if we were dead? Um, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Now they've already come to the outcome. This is the already the conclusion. We're gonna be dead. We're gonna die by the sword. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. They're just, they're just now, they're just, they're just going, they're digging it deeper, man. They're just creating a whole reality that doesn't exist. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and we should go back. We should go back to Egypt. All right, write this down. 
Distorted thinking leads to destructive decisions. All right? There's a, um, there's a book by a guy named John Krakauer. I mentioned him in another book, but he wrote a book about a kid named Chris McCandless. Chris McCandless is this young man um, right here. He was a kid that uh, wanted to go on an adventure. He went out into the Alaska wilderness, into the Denali wilderness, and decided you know, he wanted to have this adventure. So he heads out into the wilderness. He's got a gun. He's going to live off the land, and that's what he's going to do. And so he goes out into the wilderness, doesn't take a map. He's just trying to you know, have his you know, his, his vision quest out into the wilderness by himself. Well, eventually, you know, he starts getting hungry and he says, you know, I need to go home. I need to go back to civilization and, you know, have a turkey sandwich. And this has been a great experience, a great adventure, but I need to go home. So he goes back to the river that he had crossed when he went out into the wilderness. But the, 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 uh, the spring had thawed the water and now the river is much wider than it was when he went into the wilderness. And now he's going to have trouble getting out of the wilderness because there's a river right there. And the river is rushing, right? Now, it turns out that Chris McCandless had some choices. He had some choices. Just east of where he was, there was a, there was a highway. He didn't know it was there, but it was there. It wasn't very far. Just east of the river. A little bit downstream from the river, there was a, a, a U.S. A station, geological station, that had a cable that went across the river and a, and a passenger bucket that he could have got on and gone across the river and got to civilization. All right? Just a few miles away, there was Denali National Park. They had shuttle buses. This guy wasn't really that far in the wilderness. He was really close to making it out. He was really close to civilization. But his thinking got distorted. He refused to take a map. He's hungry. He's a little off base. And so what he decides is the best thing that I can do is go back to where I was in my camp. I'm going to go back to my camp in the wilderness. He was staying in this old beat up old bus, this broken down bus in the wilderness. Several months later, it's a tragic story. Several months later, a hunter found Chris McCandless starved to death in this bus because his thinking had got distorted. And instead of moving forward, he moved back. He went back. Here's what happens in our lives. Sometimes, sometimes the, 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 the comfortable pain, right? The, comfortable, the comfort of understanding our pain is greater than the discomfort of the possible freedom that we can experience. Have you ever known somebody who's in, a, in, a, in an abusive relationship and the, the abuse, the abuse and the, the knowledge of the abuse and the, the relative sort of understanding of what to ex- expect is actually in some way more comfortable than the unknown, the unknown freedom that they could experience. This happens with all of us. This is what's happening to the children of Israel. They're saying, we were in bondage. We were in slavery but we're afraid to move forward, we should go back. Let me ask you this, where, where are you tempted to go back? Because you're afraid of the unknown. You're afraid of what God is drawing you into, and so you're actually more comfortable retreating into the bondage that you're experiencing because you're afraid to go forward, right? This is what's happening to them. They said, we should go back. But then God sends a voice of reason into the midst It says this, it says, Joshua, Joshua, earlier in this passage, had his name changed from Hoshea, which means salvation, to Joshua, which means God is salvation, all right? That's a subtle difference. 
Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. Watch this. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of that land because we will devour them. Joshua's going, I'm going to contradict your distortion with, with a grand, overblown, we're going to devour them. You're not going to get devoured. Their protection, he says, is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Here's the last thing I want you to get. When fear is the symptom, faith is the cure. When fear is the symptom. Now, before you write this off as like a catchy Christianese phrase. Some of you might be like, oh yeah, yeah, okay, great. Symptom, cure, okay, got it. That's a good preacher line, right? Let me ask you this. Have you introduced the variable of God into the worry that you wrote down? Have you introduced the variable of God? Because if you, if you have an equation and your equation includes fear and worry and anxiety, and you haven't included God as a variable, you're going to end up with a, distorted, with a distorted sum, with a distorted product. You're going to come out with a distorted conclusion, right? God is saying, look, if you notice, nowhere in this passage did any of the leaders bring God into it. All they talked about was them, how big they were, how strong they were, how terrible they were, and then they talked about themselves, how little we are, how afraid we are, how grasshopper-like we are. Nobody mentioned God in the whole passage. Nobody. Even Caleb, who said, look, guys, we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. He didn't mention the Lord. He didn't say, no, 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 no. God said we can do it, right? It's not until Joshua comes along and says, if the Lord says we can do it, we can do it. If God says we can make it, we can make it. If God says we're going to get through, we're going to get through. There was no mention of God. When I, was, when I was a little kid and these thunderstorms and these lightning storms and these windstorms are raging outside and I'm looking through this lens and it's distorted and it's terrifying and it's frightening and there's monsters and goblins. Sometimes the fear would get to such a level that I would hop out of my bed, run across the hallway hop into my mom and dad's bed and snuggle down into the, where it was nice and, nice and warm and safe. And you know what happened when I did that? Reality set in. It didn't make the storm go away, but real, my, my thinking got less distorted. The distortion got diminished. Suddenly I wasn't thinking, oh my gosh, there's goblins and monsters and scary animals out there. I was going, oh, there's a thunderstorm and there's some rain and there's some lightning and there's some wind. And that's normal because this is Tornado Alley and we're the Lancaster Gales, okay? Right? So, so what happens is the distortion gets diminished when you get in the presence of your father. When you get in the presence of somebody who loves you. When you get in the presence of somebody who cares for you. Here's what I want you to do. Last thing to write down. Next to the worry that you wrote down, next to the situation that you're anxious about, just write this phrase, plus God. Plus God. Plus God. Think about this. 
I'm worried about my finances. I've got debt. I've got, you know, I'm trying to move forward with my life, right? Plus God. Doesn't mean the financial problem goes away. It just, it just gets diminished, right? It just gets brought back down to size. The distortion just starts to contract and you start to see things as they really are. You start to see reality as it really is. You bring God into your health situation. My health, my diagnosis plus God, okay, now I can, now I can work with that, right? My money plus God, my relationship plus God, my school plus God, my child plus God, my sibling plus God. Now I, the distortion gets diminished. Here's what I wanna encourage us to do as a church, as a church family, as a community. We need to bring God into every single aspect of our life. Every single crevice of our life. I dare you, the next time you are lying awake, ruminating about some issue, some challenge, somebody treated you wrong, somebody didn't treat just say, wait, plus God. God, if the Lord, God's going to see you through the financial thing. If the Lord is going to see you through the health thing. If the Lord is going to see you through the relationship. If the Lord... Be a Joshua. God is your salvation. Because the reality is this. When we bring God into the equation, the distortion diminishes and our destiny begins. The distortion contracts and our destiny begins to open up and we begin to march into the land of promise. Let me pray for you. God, as we close out today, I just ask that Something about your word in this passage, this really unique passage, this this passage that's just loaded. I, I just pray, God, that it would open up our hearts to see you in our problems, that we would see your power and see your provision in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of our difficulties, that we would not see through the lens of, of a distorted window pane but we would see you through the power that you have in our lives. We would see the problem through the lens of your power, that we, would, that, we would, that we would wrap ourselves in your love, wrap ourselves in your strength and in your grace, your mercy and your love, God, so that we can move forward into the promises that you have for us as, a, as individuals, as families, as a church, as a nation, as a world, as we build your kingdom, God. Give us the power, Lord, to trust in you, to put our faith in you, to love you, to embrace you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.